1: Right now in fast, the January rally rolls on. The Nasdaq now up 10% this year. The S&P up nearly six, and the Dow names like Disney and Salesforce soaring over 20% just this month. Are the bulls back in control? Plus, buyback blowback chevron shares soaring on news of its monster stock repurchase plan but the white house is not quite as happy as investors what is behind the ire and is it justified and To the penny shares of tesla touching levels not seen in over a month the chart master called it before christmas but where does it go from here carter will lay out his case for the ev giant and later wall street weighs in eli Lilly's new obesity drug front and center ahead of earnings what it could mean for the pharma company's results I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the NASDAQ market site. we got a full house tonight. Carter Braxton Worth, Karen Fireman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we start off with Chevron. The stock jumping nearly 5% today after the company announced a stock buyback plan totaling a whopping $75 billion, or roughly 20% of outstanding shares. But the massive buyback plan and a hike to Chevron's dividend drawing scrutiny from the White House. For more on DC's response, let's bring in Kayla Tashi. Kayla.
2: Well, Melissa, the administration believes it should be deploying its capital to drill more and lower prices at the pump. A White House official saying for a company that claimed not too long ago that it was working hard to increase oil production, handing out $75 billion to executives and wealthy shareholders sure is an odd way to show it. It's just the latest in a long-running spat between the White House and Big Oil, a popular punching bag, according to polls. Chevron CEO Mike Wirth asked the administration in June for a detente and a change in approach President Biden responded by calling out worth personally and saying, I didn't know they'd get their feelings hurt that quickly. Two months later, President Biden signed into law a sweeping bill that included a 1% tax on stock buybacks meant to chill that spending and spur investment elsewhere. But for Chevron, expected to notch a nearly record $37 billion in profit when it reports tomorrow, that 1% tax bill looks like a rounding error. Of course, Biden administration employees with investments in the Dow or the S&P 500 are invested in Chevron. So I asked the White House if that changed their outlook at all, and the official told me no. Melissa?
1: Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche from the White House for us. Um, I don't even know where to start with this situation, Guy. We had a conversation about this on the phone. Um, all of you guys, I think, had, had very strong opinions about this. Where do you start when you think about the White House attacking oil companies for spending $75 billion on their executives and wealthy shareholders?
3: Wealthy shareholders, executives? Who writes this stuff? I mean, did, these are people that work in the administration, right? I mean, theoretically, they're intelligent people. I mean, wealthy share shareholders. There are a lot of, I'm sure, shareholders that don't consider themselves wealthy. And why are we demonizing success? I mean, when did that become a thing? By the way, this is an industry, the energy industry, that this administration basically said they were going to put out of business if they were elected. So what should they be doing? By the way, when the energy, and I'm not an apologist for the energy company, let's just be straight about that. But when they were doing poorly for decades nobody went to their defense at all. So now that they finally have things working, finally when for the first time in the lifetime of these companies, when they're running more efficiently, their balance sheet is as best they've ever been. Uh, they actually are the poster child for ESG. A lot of these companies in terms of getting up to speed. Why then do they put out a release like I would be championing this. You know what? Good for Chevron that they've run their business in a way that they can give back money to shareholders and buy back their stock. We wish they were exploring a little bit more, maybe drilling a little bit more, but this is a great example of American ingenuity being put to work.
4: I agree with everything Guy's saying. Uh, Just to expand on that a little bit, I mean, we talk about the boom and bust cycle in this space, right? And so finally, they're getting it right as if there's no cost to boom and bust. All those people who are hired and then fired, all those housing, Mm -hmm. the housing that's built for them. The debt crisis around the Everything around that. And now they're being financially, I think, way more, right, way more disciplined. As they should be, the wealthy shareholders. How about just the shareholders? Right. right. They don't just go to wealthy people and say, "We'll buy your stock back." <laughs> no, this is for all the shareholders. You don't need to sell your stock, right? If you don't want to. So they, you know, they've been just, you know, demonized. When they produce, now they're demonized that they don't produce enough. I I just think it's not fair of the administration to just make them into a punching bag because it doesn't doesn't serve the administration well to have oil prices move.
5: Yeah, just real quickly, when you think about stock ownership here in the U.S., it is largely among the wealthy, and so like for all intents and purposes, you could say it's semantics. But like when you deploy that much of your cash flow that has increased dramatically because of a weird supply-demand dynamic on the other side of a black swan, then you know all this. I mean, the talking points make sense. It's populist, right? What are they trying to do? They're trying to battle this narrative of inflation. And where did most U.S. consumers feel it? They felt it at the pump. Where did most U.S. consumers feel it the worst? On the lower end. Those are people who don't own stocks, right? So, again, I mean, like, we can sit here and argue about it. I get what you guys are saying about demonizing, you know, capitalism and success in capitalism. I don't think that's what you are doing. Look at almost every industry that has a difficult time in a difficult economic environment in our country in my lifetime they get support from the government, okay? Like, that's kind of the point. And then it's not just Democrats in the White House right now who feel that, um, you know, fossil fuels are not the way forward. I think there's a lot of people who agree with that. So, again, I mean, I know companies like Chevron, they're using their technological know-how to invest in, in, away from fossil fuels. It's just an easy target, right? They didn't need to come out and say $75 billion. It's a company with a $300 billion market cap and $25 billion in cash yes they generate a lot of cash flow in periods like this but again i think it's kind of silly on both sides it's just it seems like a little bit of a tip i mean it's
6: out it's out of line i guess is the word i would use but here's the question the recipient of that uh, sort of uh, poke, should they even respond? That's the biggest mm-hmm. question. I mean, they don't have an obligation to any energy company to respond to that kind of thing. I suspect they will. But at the end of the day, it's 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 a perfectly valid thing to say, hey, that's, that's your opinion. We're not going to respond to that.
1: Well, here's the question, I guess, for investors, and that is, you know, does that change how the stock is viewed in terms of being investable or not investable if it It has a constant target on its back by an administration that is running out of cards to bring gas prices lower. Gas prices have ticked higher. Um, They've already released a lot of oil from the SPR. What else is there to do? from the administration standpoint. I'm not trying to play politics either, but maybe that could factor into why this attack happened.
3: Yeah, so the answer, in my opinion, the answer to that question is absolutely not. I mean, these stocks were probably, and many of these stocks were half the price that they were when the administration came in on the back of, we're gonna put you out of business. They have doubled since. Uh, Many of these companies are still, in my opinion, cheap on valuation, regardless whether or not crude oil goes higher or lower from here. If crude were to go sideways for the next year, these companies should continue to go up in stock price, in my opinion. So if you're selling your stock because you're scared that the administrations have a bullseye, that's the wrong reason. If you think they've run too much, it's an entirely different conversation.
4: Well, let me just ask you a question. What do you think is worse, them knowing what they're saying is kind of a load of crap, or they really believe it? The they administration, really believe
1: it. That they really that believe it. That they really it. believe that. Uh-huh. No, wh- what's your opinion on that? I'm not
4: really sure. I mean, it's bad either way. It's bad either way. I mean, Dan's point is they're just playing politics. They're just saying what they got to say. Right. Um, I, I, I guess I'd rather that, so that they. But knowing that they really do understand the dynamics of the business. So, so,
5: so, let's just talk about the stocks here, okay? So they're trading at all-time highs, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you think back to what Guy was saying when the administration came in, go back to you know the Trump administration. Chevron was earning like uh, you know three dollars in earnings in 2017, and now it's expected to do twenty dollars this year. I, I just, not, I'm not sure it gets any better from here. I'm not sure if you're going out and you're buying this stock right here because you think the valuation is cheap. You think maybe. The the narrative has changed as it relates to ESG and the companies are going to be able to do what they want with their cash flows, that's fine and good. But I'm not sure these stocks get any better from here. I'm not sure the companies do. And Guy, to your point, we don't know how these stocks are going to perform with $60 oil or $50 oil in three years or something like that. So to me, again, this seems like it's ringing the bell at the top.
1: Um, for more on all of this, let's bring in Halima Croft, Managing Director and Head of Global Commodity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets and a CNBC contributor. Halima, great to have you with us. It's interesting this is all happening as we're seeing oil prices go higher and perhaps even head higher from where we are now because of China's reopening. What, what are your thoughts on all of this?
7: I mean, this is happening precisely because oil prices are rising. I did to the administration's anxiety with this China reopening that we're going to be talking about oil prices. Back in the 90s, they've already done, you know, big blockbuster SPR releases. And the question is, like, do they have any more levers that they can pull to try to bring down prices? I think this is all about signaling, intending to try to deal with higher energy prices. But they don't have a lot of great options right now. So where do you
1: think oil prices go from here?
7: I mean, this is the big question. I mean, if China proceeds as planned with this reopening, I mean, that is the obvious tailwind for oil prices. And again, I think, you know, we're talking about, you know, oil prices in the 90s, potentially in the hundreds later on this year, if China proceeds with this reopening, I mean, that is the bull story for oil. Indian demand is growing like gangbusters. If we fade the global recession story and focus on the China story, there's not a lot of additional supply out there if China is fully back on the market.
4: Sylvia so, Karen, thanks for coming on. Um, let me just ask you: there was some discussion a couple of months ago about the administration sort of re-upping with the SPR, and there was that you know seventy-dollar bid. Whatever right. happened with that, it did seem
7: like they bought nothing. Where is that yeah. stand? I mean, they talked about sort of a trial repurchase of around three million barrels. There is still a twenty-six million barrel release on the books for this year, congressionally mandated, but there has not been a lot of color about when the administration would buy back, what the quantities would be. So this administration pledged to refill the SPR has not been taken that seriously by the market.
1: So Halima, I mean, it sounds like you're saying before that the administration really has no way at this point. And, and it almost feels like them pointing the finger at Chevron and the other oil companies, them trying to go to OPEC and trying to get them to produce more, but them ultimately being turned down. It it just sort of underscores the notion that that the administration really can't do anything about this situation.
7: I mean, again, I think the administration is trying to use whatever tools it has at its disposal. So, yes, it's appealing to U.S. producers to basically, hey, put the money in the ground and produce more. But that's not going to solve an immediate issue if we do have China proceeding with this reopening. Again, they can appeal to OPEC. But OPEC has said, or a lot of the OPEC producers have said, we have our own fiscal priorities. Like, we would like a more robust oil price. So, again, I think the administration is sort of scrambling for what they can do to try to show U.S. consumers that they have a plan to bring prices down.
3: Yeah, it's interesting, Halima. I don't, you can speak this far more intelligently than I, but I don't think there's been a new refinery built in this country in decades. So this is not something where right. instead of that $75 billion buying back stock, we're going to start refining more, or doing things that are going to lower. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. To Karen's earlier point, either they don't know it and they're not that bright or they do know it and they're being disingenuous.
7: No, I think they do understand the situation. Again, I think there are some in the administration who believe you can turn it like a light switch. But seriously, someone like an Amos Huckstein clearly knows the environment that he is dealing in in terms of this market right now. But you raise a really interesting point when you talk about refined products and lack of refinery capacity. Pay attention to February 5. That's when Europe bans the importation of Russian products. And I would pay close attention to what happens for diesel, for refined products, after February 5. That's a very important inflection point in the market that's coming up. Halima, great to get your thoughts. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Halima Croft, RBC, Carter Braxton Worth. How do the charts look?
6: Well, uh, I'm with you, Dan, in the sense that we know energy has been a great performer off the pandemic low, but its relative performance has stalled. I like the OIH, the driller's names relative to the big integrateds, But at this point, this is what I would call a pair of twos. It's not all that interesting or actionable.
3: Yeah, finally, the OIH, and Karen's been on this, is caught a bid. I mean, the fact that it's making 52-week highs, those stocks that comprise of Schlumberger, Halliburton, to a lesser extent Baker Hughes, 50 percent of the ETF all extraordinarily reasonable on valuation. And again, all companies that are much better companies today than they were five, six, seven years ago. It stands to reason, again, crude oil notwithstanding, these stocks should just, in my opinion, levitate higher. And if you think the Chevron quarter tomorrow, the report is going to be going to create some a firestorm. Wait until you hear what Valero has to say as well, because the refiners are going to crush it in this environment.
1: I can't wait to hear what Mike Worth says about mm-hmm. these comments from the White House. Coming up, the earnings keep rolling in. Shares of Intel and Visa on the move after reporting results. We'll dig into those numbers next. Plus, no love for LUV, for love. Shares of Southwest losing altitude after a big earnings miss. Is there more turbulence ahead? The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. A pair of earnings alerts starting with Intel shares tumbling after the company missed estimates on the top and the bottom lines. The chip maker also issuing just horrible guidance for the current quarter. Uh, Pippa Stevens is here with the very latest. Pippa,
7: hey Melissa, it is that disappointing guidance that is weighing on the stock here? But in terms of Q4 results, revenue fell 32% year over year, which was the fourth straight quarter of falling sales. Gross margins were down 12%. Now on the guidance front, Intel now sees a loss of $0.15 per share on an adjusted basis for Q1 – while Wall Street was looking for a 24-cent profit. Revenue guidance also came up short. Now, the call is underway right now. CEO Pat Gelsinger saying that the company is not going to give full-year guidance because of the, quote, uncertainty in the current environment. He said they expect macro weakness to continue for at least the first half of the year. And they haven't yet provided specifics around some of the previously announced cost-cutting measures. So that is something we are listening for. Melissa? All right, Pippa, thank you. And
1: uh, don't miss Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger live on Tech Check tomorrow with more on the results It's 11 a.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Um- so it's so bad they can't possibly give guidance for the full year, but they will give horrible guidance for the first quarter that falls as much as $4 billion short of investment on the revenue side. It's just staggering. Well, they
5: are a month into the quarter. I mean, like, so okay. they can oh, guide this quarter, and they're not yeah. going to miss that guidance. You could drive a truck through that revenue yeah. guidance, too. But, like, 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 let's be clear, like, whatever they thought they're most likely to come in on the revenue side, they probably widen the low end of that range. And, and then, again, I mean, listen, this is how you try to put in a bottom of the stock where the company has been in continual restructuring they're losing market share. They've misexecuted on a whole host of things. They're talking about China was about as bad as it gets in December quarter, but they're talking about inventories being reduced here. So these are things that you probably want to hear. I'm not trying to make a bullish case for this, but this stock ended the year at 26 bucks, It went into this print at $30. i am surprised it's not at 26 to be honest with you, um, but to me this is not one to pick out. I think you probably see this thing breaking those lows, those 52-week lows in the not-so-distant future.
3: Yeah, give it time. So a couple quarters Ago, we said on this show that the Intel quarter was not in terms of Intel, not in terms of semis, in terms of publicly traded companies. The worst quarter we've ever seen in the then 15 years of this show. Well, guess what, folks? <laughs> they just they just raised it's, it's the bar. <laughs> I mean, their, their business is effectively data center Down 41% year-over-year. I don't even know how that's possible. Down 41% year-over-year. Client computing is the other big one, down 34.5%. And operating margins continue to deteriorate. Dan makes fun of me. But operating margins of 4.3% against 28% a year ago, and the street was looking at almost 7%. I don't know what they're doing there. Clearly, they don't know either. And to Dan's point, it should be a lot lower
1: than it is now. Uh, the worry now is filtering into the other chip makers, which are down across the board, Karen. Yeah, I'm wondering, should it be? I mean, yeah. Is this the disintegration of Intel
4: because they're being completely eaten alive by AMD, whoever, which I see is down two bucks? I mean, we know some of the macro, right? PCs are soft. I think that's relevant mm-hmm. for all of them. But... Uh, in terms of the share gain, I think, you know, to have a competitor really weakened is not a terrible thing. Right. Right. I mean,
6: I, this is a testament, as you think, the long term that there's no such thing as a growth stock. There are stocks in growth phases. This is the greatest enterprise, one of them of all time, whether you consider Eastman Kodak or Westinghouse or IBM. And look at it now. What we do know is it's making all time relative lows to the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index. They launched that index exactly 30 years ago in 1993, and Intel has peaked in 1998, and a relative base has been going down ever since. It's a disaster.
1: Um, Let's move on to Visa now. That stock is gaining ground in the after hour session on an earnings beat thanks to an increase in payment and cross-border volumes. Kate Rooney's got the latest from the call. Kate. Hey, Melissa.
8: Yes, Visa getting a boost from that strong consumer spending, also travel. It was beat on the top and bottom line for the payments giant. Revenue was up 12% uh, year over year. The call just kicking off CEO Al Kelly saying the quarter was driven by what he called stable payments volume and a continued cross-border recovery. He talked about Asia-Pacific health. He said that was especially strong with China lifting some travel restrictions. They also continued to see improvements inbound into the U.S. Also talked about some benefits from the FIFA World Cup as well. Al Kelly is officially stepping down as CEO next week, moving to that executive chairman role uh, of the board. Ryan McInerney, meanwhile, will take the reins as Visa's new CEO. Total payments volume, guys, up 7 percent year-over-year, Cross-border up 22 percent or 31 percent if you do exclude transactions within Europe. And then transactions overall up 10 percent. No guidance yet. That's key. We're waiting for that on the call here that's underway. Visa's quarter really tracks with what we heard from MasterCard earlier this morning, which is also benefiting from that cross-border recovery. They pointed to what they called the resilient consumer right now in the face of inflation. MasterCard was pretty conservative on the revenue guidance, although they say they're closely tracking the labor market. We've got Amex reporting for The Bell tomorrow. Back to you.
1: All right, Kate. Thanks. Uh, Kate Rooney. On Visa, we're still waiting for the guidance once again, but the difference in terms of how the stocks are trading, I mean, Mastercard was down by more than a percent today's session. And to me, they sounded a little bit cautious on the continued pace of recovery in terms of travel to different regions. They said it'll continue to grow at a healthy pace, but it's not mm-hmm. going to be the same as we, they've seen a little bit of pull forward. Yeah,
4: well, I think Visa is a little better on that mm-hmm. front. So, and that's been the expectation, I think. I mean, they're fantastic companies, both. They've had years and years of growth that started off... I mean, with remember the currency going out of business, right? And that we all use cards, of course, and then the, this cross border travel is great. They're not cheap. They shouldn't be cheap, though. They're premier companies, but uh, I don't own anymore. It's just a little too expensive for me, this much over the market multiple.
5: It's funny. When I look at these um, and I say to myself, to your point about valuation, you know, again, Visa is expected to grow earnings and sales this current fiscal year. You know, high single digits, maybe 10 percent, trading 27 times. And and that, that to me, doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you think about all the competitive forces that are out there as it relates to fintech and and the like here. Um, But, you know, the consistency of their businesses, the stable margins, the lack of credit. Credit risk, all that sort of thing. Great. And I took away what you did, Mel, is like, I see a deceleration in consumer spending. If you start stitching that together with some of the other inputs that we're getting, you know, to me, that makes me a little cautious, but the stocks
1: act fine. Okay, here's an ultimate, would you rather? Oh, I like this game. Fundamentals versus the charts. So Visa, MasterCard guy on fundamentals. Versus the chart. Versus the chart master. (laughs) I'll
3: play. I'll I'll, I'll segue into the fundamentals. 29 times. I mean, it's historically traded a multiple, a a premium multiple, as Karen said. So it's not cheap. It shouldn't be cheap. The quarter was fine. Operating margins hang in close to 70 percent. Good for them. I think it makes a push towards that all-time high of 248. We have finally broken through, I think, a downtrend line that's been in place since, if I'm not mistaken, Carter. July of 2021.
6: So. Spot on. So I like them both. Obviously, they have a high oh, correlation, okay. about 90 percent, the two stocks. They are acting a bit differently in response mm-hmm. to their numbers. But their steadiness and things that you mentioned, Dan, their reliability, lack of credit risk, I think ultimately the market knows this, and that's why they're acting so well. All
1: right. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next.
6: Southwest sorrow. A major miss for the airline after the holiday cancellation debacle. So is it time to leave this trade on the tarmac? Plus, a Tesla takeout. Charts, technicals, and some good old-fashioned to-the-penny trades from the Chartmaster, where he sees the EV stock heading next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
9: We invest a lot in technology, a billion dollars a year. We'll actually invest closer to 1.3 billion here in 2023. We have a long track record of doing a great job in technology. We just put in a industry leading system here for our maintenance and aircraft routing folks to serve them. Last year we put in a brand new human capital management people system. So the, the, the idea that we don't invest in technology just isn't correct.
1: That was Southwest Airlines CEO Bob Jordan speaking exclusively with CNBC's Squawk on the Street this morning. Shares dipping more than 3% following a dismal Q4 report. The airline lost nearly a quarter billion dollars, including an $800 million impact from mass cancellations over the Christmas and New Year periods. Uh, profits falling 45% year over year. Southwest expects to post a loss for the current quarter as well. I guess they do invest in technology. Maybe not enough. Guy.
3: No, they don't. I mean, when you watch the news when all this went down with them you'd have people come on and say this is like you know ninth generation you know old generation technology they got to get into the 21st century and if the administration, who I'm sure is now watching after that rant about Chevron, wants to get on, <laughs> get after the airlines, Seriously? who when the world went to bleep, went mm-hmm. to the Capitol Hill, right. got hat hand in ups. hand, got mm-hmm. bailed out, and still can't run productive airlines, yeah. and still charge people crazy amounts to wait in airports, wait for their bags for hours on end. It's ridiculous. Those are the people you should be exorcised by, not the energy companies that are seemingly doing everything right, yeah, gasoline's higher. It ain't their fault. Back to you, Mel.
6: <laughs> and Carter. <laughs> well, so there is that. Um, but here's the thing. These are, <laughs> these are these are trading vehicles, right, when we know this. And they've had a big trade. The, the JETS ETF is up a lot, and, and a lot is priced in. Just remember, the New York Stock Exchange Airline Index, which has been around a long time, is trading right now at the exact same level it was in January of 1994. This is wow. a bad business. These airlines lose money. They make money. It's boom and bust. Over time, it's not an investment. It's a trade. And we've already had a big trade in jets. Yeah,
4: you've been you've traded. I've traded. I've been out of the trading yeah. of these for a while. You know, I, I do think though companies can recover from this sort of PR disaster. Right. And I was thinking about JetBlue, but now I see the stock actually hasn't recovered from there. That just may be because of the pandemic or other reasons. But I think they can recover. They got to spend a lot to get it together, but it, it's it's not a death blow for them.
5: Yeah, I, I'm just positioned. I, I think the same way that Carter's thinking about it in the mm-hmm. Jets. I think I talked about yeah. it on the show a couple weeks ago. I'm playing for a move back to 18 using a put spread in February. But again, it's been it's been a little difficult after that United reversal we saw the day after their earnings. I mean, these stocks are kind of hanging in there too. So I might have to uh, jet out of this trade. Mm.
1: Uh-huh. Coming up, the only thing to fear is fear itself. Tell that to investors. Their worries topping their minds and how they are navigating the volatility. That's ahead. But first, some Tesla technicals. The chart master sees some green lights ahead for the EV stock. But not all of our traders agree. You won't want to miss this Tesla Tesla when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Stocks closing out in the green after some strong GDP data this morning. The Dow jumping more than 200 points up for the fifth straight day. That is its longest win streak since October. The S&P up more than 1% and the Nasdaq leading the gains up more than one and a half percent, breaking a two-day losing streak. The Nasdaq closing within just 200 points of its 200-day moving average, a level it has not seen in more than a year. But check out Hasbro sinking in extended trading after announcing it will cut 15% of its workforce. The COO will also be leaving the company. Dan, what do you make of the NASDAQ?
5: Uh, Listen, it's it's the third week in January, okay? And we're, like, right through, (laughs) like, 25% of S&P 500 earnings. Sentiment, you know, like, think about this. And we've been talking about this. The ingredients for a rally are in place. Rates have come in. The dollar has Mm -hmm. come in. Credit has gotten better, right? Sentiment has kind of shifted a little bit here. I mean, I could go on and on about inflation readings, about crude oil, about the promise of the Fed finally doing a 25 basis point hike, right? Everything's coming up roses. But that's exactly when you want to probably take the other side. Now, just say this, and you guys are all going to think I'm a perma-bear. I'm not. You know, the S&P right now is trading at a 17 multiple. That is the average that it's basically traded on a forward basis over the last 10 years. This is not how bear markets end. And the fact of the matter is Fed funds is still going to 5%. And that's the big difference of the end of this bear market as it relates to the financial crisis and as it relates to what happened to the dot-com 20 years ago. So that's just that's my bit there, people.
3: One has to wonder, into next Wednesday, does this market rally now give Give JP, Jerome Powell, some air cover to right. be exceedingly. I mean, he's been very hawkish, hawkish, like uber hawkish. Just something to consider into next week. All right.
1: All right. Let's focus on Tesla right now, the EV maker, the best performer in the SP and a big driver of the Nasdaq's rise today. The chart master has been on this call for weeks. Back on December 20th, when Tesla was at 138, Carter put out a note to start nibbling. Then, when it was about 113 on January 4th, Carter said to stay long and reduce shorts. So where does Tesla head from here? Carter, what do you say?
6: Well, let's try to figure it out together. So the charts, more often than not, will lead us in some direction. So let's see where they lead us. First, what do we know? To the penny. To the penny. To the penny. And now you can see we are above trend. That's a sort of nice little conclusion. We've got this minor head and shoulders bottom. And ultimately, I think there's a bit more room to run. How much more? Let's figure it out with some longer-term charts. So the first one, this is going back over three years. No lines, no drawings. Let's put some in. And what you have here, and it's very well defined. It's remarkable, in fact. Uh, Annoying to those who study the uh, battery business or the car business or the balance sheet or the income statement. But it is remarkably all quite laid out for us. So the question is, it's bounced. How much more do we get? Well, let's do the next one. The next chart has a midpoint. And finally, here it comes. Watch this. The midpoint, if we were to get there, and I think that's probably what you can target, is around 170 plus or minus. We closed, well, 175. We closed at 160 day. I think you've got a bit more room to run.
1: What did you make of the quarter, Karen? Because the results seem to underscore Tesla's lead, its advantages over the legacy OEMs when it comes to EVs.
4: So you mean do all that kind of stuff that Carter says is kind of irrelevant to do? <laughs> right, um, exactly. The, the things that he just basically ridiculed because— it <laughs> Yes. I mean, I, I, the, the bounce has sort of been extraordinary. I don't know that in this particular name, the fundamentals and what you think they earn, all of that kind of doesn't matter. It's all about sentiment, and it's all about—is is the, worst, the worst of the bad news for Elon maybe now over— I don't know, but uh, it seems like that's the case. I don't own it here. It's, you know, it's just a a stock that I can't, I believe in their charts,
1: but I I can't get their own fundamentals. TSLQ, man.
5: Yeah, so um, listen, I've been negative on the story. Um, I was long puts into the print. They're gone to zero. They're worthless. I had a bad trade there. Um, But again, you know, I had some good ones on the downside um, last year here. And today I put a fresh, I did buy that TLSQ um, at you know, equivalent of $159 in the stock. It closed at 160 here today. And and again, you know, I'd love to see, the stock's probably going to 170 in the not-so-distant future. Um, And I'd love to see what Carter's take is um, at that point. You know, the fact of the matter is, listen, I don't have something against Elon or this. I just don't trust him. And people ask me all the time, you know, what is one of the major reasons why you would buy a stock, why you would buy into a company? And management and their transparency and their trustworthiness and their ability to kind of execute to the things that they've said. Think about that conversation we just had about Intel and I don't believe him. And he has demonstrated um, on probably dozens of occasions over the last 10 years that he doesn't really, you know, the truth is not something that he is solving to all the time. So there's thousands of other stocks out there that you can buy unless you think that this cult or this one in particular is so unique. And I'll just say the last thing. You know, one of the reasons we talk about competition, it has been a pillar of the bear case for a long time. And bulls will tell you it just hasn't happened. Well, 40 percent of their sales come in China. They have less than 10 percent market share. Elon said on their call that their competition in China is the real deal. And I just think that that's the battleground for this company going forward. You think of the reliance on manufacturing there, the reliance on rare earth materials for their batteries over there. I just don't think this is a great story here. Last night, I thought you faded at 144. That was
3: wrong. But, you know, you go through the quarter and I looked, I actually spent about 45 minutes just going through Twitter. The bulls that have been ardent bulls love that quarter. They couldn't say enough about it. The people that have been bearish and until the last month and a half have been spot on. So a lot of things to really dislike about that quarter. So now both sides are dug in. The question is, the Bulls have definitely um, acquitted themselves extraordinarily well the last couple of months. Does it get through that midpoint line, which probably comes in around 175 or so? If it fails there, that downtrend that Carter annotated so well, by the way, Kornacki-esque is probably still in play.
1: The lines were just Yes, do you, you, do you reshort short it there? That's, that's the question. That's right. Probably. All right. Coming up, the coupons just aren't cutting it. Shares of Bed Bath & Beyond inching closer and closer to bankruptcy. The latest details out of that one next. Plus, it's been a wild ride for stocks over the past year. But has the January jump helped ease concerns? The fears, worries, and plans that are top of mind for the individual investor. More on that ahead. Fast money's back in two. Mark your calendars. Fast money is heading to Miami next week. We are live from the iConnections Global Alts Conference with legendary short seller Jim Chanos and real estate titan Michael Aragetti. Plus, a look at Miami's dented crypto dreams. It all starts Monday, 5 p.m. Eastern time only on CNBC. Meantime, shares of Bed Bath & Beyond plunging after a brief halt this afternoon. The company saying in a regulatory filing that it does not have enough funds to repay its credit facilities. Earlier this month, the Bed, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond warned of a potential bankruptcy as it struggles with inventory issues and waning store traffic. The latest news from the one-time meme, Darling, comes on the two-year anniversary of GameStop's then-unprecedented 92% surge, a move that ignited the Reddit revolution. Karen, what you make of this? I guess it's not entirely surprising. No, it's not in
4: any way surprising (laughs) at all, nor should it be to any of the shareholders who just, you know, they're hoping for a squeeze. We will find out soon enough. February 1st, they have a bond payment due. Highly, highly likely they do not make that payment. They'll have a cure period, but they might as well just file bankruptcy then. I don't know if that's enough to get... The shareholders out. Look at where the bonds are trading. Pennies, literally under 10 cents on the dollar. They don't expect to get much money back, and they're way ahead of the equity. So this is another one I just, I just find it ridiculous.
1: All right. Well, January's rally and prospects for slower rate hikes are tempering fears among investors, but they're still cautious. That, according to the latest Investopedia Sentiment Survey, Editor-in-Chief Caleb Silver is here to break down those results. Welcome back, Caleb. Good to see you. Good to be with you. So there you don't trust this rally that we've seen.
9: No, fear to the left, greed to the right. Yeah. Where are they? Stuck in the middle with you and you and <laughs> you, all of us, not doing anything. 47% say they're playing it safer. We only have about 20% say they're investing more. 31% say they're investing less. But there are some opportunistic people out there. Also, a more of a flight to safety this round, people buying CDs a little bit more than last time.
1: Yeah, which is not a surprise either. But what's interesting is that you always ask this great question. That is, what would you do if you had an extra $10,000 lying around? Yeah they still say stocks.
9: Yeah, individual stocks. Last time, though, if you remember, they were talking about putting it in savings just in case. So that was the first time we saw that flip-flop. Now they're back to buying stocks again. I think they've seen a lot of their favorite stocks and their favorite stocks are the biggest, most popular stocks come way down. So they would buy individual stocks if they could, if they had that extra 10 grand. Some people are getting promiscuous going out on the edge and doing it. And if you've been watching lately, as I know you guys have been, they've been rewarded the past few weeks anyway.
4: So have you seen in the past this much interest in buying CDs or, or, you know, some equivalent to that as there is now?
9: No, this is a promiscuous, aggressive retail investor that reads Investopedia, self-directed, looking to put money to work at all times, but finally they have an alternative. It's been a long time since they had one. 4% looks kind of good right now when you can't see the future, and they're worried about a bunch of things, like a recession, like a surge in interest rates, like inflation, geopolitical uh, conflict, and then the uh, rising interest rates, but those fears have come down a little bit as things have cooled a little bit with inflation. It's interesting, Caleb,
3: 10% say pay down debt with that extra 10 grand. And that seems on the low end of things, considering interest rates have gone higher and consumer debt is now north of $5 trillion in terms of housing, credit cards, and those types of things. Is that a surprising number? Is that high, given what your data suggests. it's
9: not that surprising, because this crowd likes to put money to work. Again, retail investors looking for any opportunity they can to put money to work, and households are in slightly better shape. Those that can invest are, I think, in slightly better, better shape, so it doesn't surprise us that much. But remember, just back in December, when I was here, they were much more worried about what was going to happen in the future. I think things have cooled down a little bit, but still not ready to jump back in all the way.
1: There seems to be a little bit of overlap in terms of fears are tempered. 47% are playing at safer, 24% buying CDs, which are the same, right? You're playing it safer by Mm -hmm. buying CDs. So does that really mean the 47% they're playing it safer by buying like dividend stocks, you know? Dividend stocks,
9: uh, the ETFs that they think are going to be stable and secure. When you look at their top 10 stocks and the ETFs that they buy, which we asked them, they're the big ones. So they're looking for that type of flight to safety where the crowds have been and where the returns have been, but not really willing to get dangerous with a lot of the former meme stocks.
1: Uh, Caleb, it's always great to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Caleb Silver, editor-in-chief of Investopedia. It's interesting because we got a read from Susie Orman yesterday about the consumer, and she said that they're really strapped. And here we have at least a picture of, of investors out there who are still holding on to hope that there will be some sort of turnaround out there.
4: Well, there has been a huge turnaround. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? If you think about where we were just, I don't know, four weeks ago, it's been a, a huge bounce. I'm sort of in Dan's camp. I'm starting to get more nervous. Right. The this higher we been go. a very big bounce. Yeah.
6: Well, you know, those numbers match up quite much to the American Association of Individual Investors, the AAII right. polls, and so uh, it's 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 a big tug of war. Yeah. Is Do that- I look nervous? <laughs>
5: I mean, cranky. Cranky. So I, at, I, I am crazy. Listen, this is where cranky. like, you know, like you know, you look at the Twitter and like, I asked Dan about his QQQ puts or the. I'm trading, man. And I own stuff like you guys, like, and I'm not like trading those things right. or whatever. I just say this, like think about these three periods that we've had over the last year. We had that uh March-April rally, okay, in and around a Fed meeting into earnings season. We had that mid-June, okay, Fed meeting into earnings season, and then we had October and December. I think we're in another period like that right now, and I think it's really hard to kind of, you know, like, remember what it felt like at the October lows or at those lows back in June or whatever. And I think very soon we're probably going to be back at that because I think the sentiment, as bad as it was late last year, and we climbed this middle wall of worry, I think it has the potential to turn that way because it's gotten a little exuberant in a very short period of time.
3: I would be remiss, Melissa, if I didn't point out. First of all, you and Caleb worked together in a past life, number one. Yes, yes. But he also brought up the great Steelers' wheel song, Stuck in the Middle, with you, of course, the lead singer being Jerry Rafferty. So my question to you is, is it Baker Street for you or right down the line if you had to put out a Jerry Rafferty song?
1: Right down the line. Yeah, (laughs)
3: absolutely, Mel. Great job by you. Tremendous.
1: Coming up, I have no idea what he's talking about. The Lily Lowdown, analysts weighing in on the company's new obesity drug and the impact it could have on earnings next week. The details on that trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Eli Lilly lagging the market this year. The stock down nearly 5% as it gets ready to report earnings next Thursday. J.P. Morgan saying in a note today that sales of its Munjaro obesity drug will be key to those results. What is the trade here? Karen, you've been on this. Yeah,
4: so they're down a little bit. Now, last year was a huge year for them. Yeah. Actually, the last two years have been very good for them. I mean, I do think this drug, and they're not the only ones with this drug, is has the potential to be the blockbuster of all time. However, the stock is not cheap. And I actually owned and I've sold Novo Nordisk, which makes Ozempic and Wegovy, which is very similar mm-hmm. to Terzapatite and Monjaro. It's very similar. So I feel like this is like the next Star Wars that's going to come out. And it's a little bit of buy the rumor, sell the news. So I would not be a, a buyer of Lilly
1: right here. Guy cannot relate to that. What's that? What? Star, the Star Never, Wars reference. Can I say something? <laughs> i Star Wars Never. Ever. Nor will I. I know. I know. Anyway. Anyway, yes.
6: <laughs> Back to, so it's rolling over ever so slightly. It's taken on a rollover cast, Lily, and its relative performance to both the spy or the XLV is deteriorating even more so. I would uh, think a lot, if not all, of the so-called good news is priced in.
3: Yeah, and I apologize to Drew Barrymore. I know she watches the show. I know I haven't okay. seen Star Wars number no one. Number two, we <laughs> saw a move to the downside of this magnitude.
4: Star Wars? E.T.
3: Oh, yeah. oh, oh, that's IT. Yeah. IT. Oh, yeah, that's unfortunate. In December of last year, you saw a similar move. And, yes, the stock has been expensive throughout the last decade or so, but they continue to sort of innovate. I actually think you can buy this dip in earnings, what is it, next week or February? Yeah, February 2nd. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. An option trader making a big bet against one of Lilly's rivals in the obesity drug space today. Mike's got the action in Pfizer. Mike.
3: Yeah, so Pfizer traded well over four times their average daily put volume. It was one of the busiest single stock options today, over 200,000 puts or so trading in total. The busiest contract were next week's 43 strike puts. Over 67,000 of those traded, including some institutional prints, a purchase of nearly 16,000 of them going off at about 60 cents. The options market right now implying a move of about 4.4% by the end of next week. They're going to be reporting earnings. Typically, they move less than 3 percent, but the buyers of those puts are betting that the move is going to be to the downside.
1: Carter, what do you make of Pfizer versus Lilly?
6: Well, completely different circumstances. Lilly has been a long term and structural winner that maybe or maybe not is pricing in a lot. Pfizer is sort of a pair of twos. But day to day, week over week, it's almost straight down. It seems oversold to me.
1: I like this new pairing of would you rather mm. the charts versus what the fundamentals say. Maybe a new segment. Perhaps. Mm. Maybe we can think of a name for it at some point. But I always come yeah. up with fun names. Mm. Ask Carter. Just ask Carter off That's camera. That's the segment. No. Ask, Carter. ask Carter. Ask Carter.
3: See, I didn't even realize I was doing it. That's the genius of G. Swiss. Can you answer the
1: question though?
3: What's the question? Is Lilly or Pfizer? <laughs> well, it's Eli Lilly without question. I mean, Pfizer meanders around. Eli Lilly's been lower left, upper right. Uh, for a while. Yes, it's in the downtrend now, but this uptrend it has been in for a decade is still intact.
1: All right. Mike, thank you. Mike Co. for more options action. Tune into the full show. That is tomorrow, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. We had a last look at shares of Intel near the after hour session lows down by nine point six percent. The company remembering offering dismal guidance for the current quarter, saying it will not guide for the rest of the year because of the uncertainties here. This is the quote. The guy is referring to the last quarter where he thought it was like the worst quarter ever mm-hmm. on record. But this is worser. Um, this is the bottom. We're rebuilding from here. That's what the CEO said. July 29th last year. Uh, Dan, what do you make of this?
5: Yeah, I mean, listen, there's better stories, right? And this is almost one where you'd rather pay uh, the wrong valuation for, like, an NVIDIA at some point Mm -hmm. than, like, a cheap valuation. You know, the whole, I think you called it a value trap before. So, to me, and I'm not saying buy NVIDIA up here after the run it has, but I just wouldn't be buying Intel here either.
1: All right, time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Carter Braxton Worth. U.S. dollar for a bounce. You can
6: use UUP ETF.
1: Chairwoman. Yes, once again, I find myself in the uncomfortable
4: position of agreeing with Dan. I think you got to buy some S&P puts, at least going into earnings after this big run. Dan?
5: Yeah, TSLQ, that's the reverse ETF of the Tesla. I bought it today, 159. I'm going to use a tight stop, 10% to the downside.
4: Instead of
3: chastising, perhaps we could learn from uh, Some watch. of these energy companies that have done so well in this current environment. ConocoPhillips in earnings next week, Melissa.
1: Thanks for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer Kramer starts right now. This
0: podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.